Hello, and welcome to the show where we cast our favorite books into film. I'm Rachel. I'm Flo. And I'm Roxanne. And this is Typecast, brought to you by Rare Birds Book Club. This week, we're discussing Bridgerton, all eight books by Julia Quinn. <laughs> Just eight books. <laughs> Just, yeah, that's all of them. <laughs> um, welcome, everyone, to a very special, special episode of Typecast. We decided to record a special episode because we managed to get the country's leading expert on <laughs> bodice rippers mm-hmm. onto the show tonight. Um, so I'd like to welcome Roxanne. Roxanne, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank it's you. such a coincidence. The world's, I know. The world's leading expert on you know. is, is already one of the highest typecast. And may I say it's an honor. It's really been my life's work since, mm. you know, a couple of years ago. So. Since you were five or six, actually. Isn't it? it is, actually. No, I think maybe even 10 years. 10 years of bodice rippers has brought me to this point discussing Bridgerton finally I would actually and I would actually describe myself as probably one of the the least leading experts on (laughs) is that that your way of saying you haven't read the books I haven't done the reading I'm sorry part of the reason we really wanted to talk about the show was because the show is actually inspired by a series of books by the author Julia Quinn Though many, many, many people have watched the show in my social circle, most people didn't realize that it was a book series. Yeah, we just also wanted to talk a bit more about like the romance specific genre. And we're not talking about like the rom coms that are sort of, you know, shunted into the romance genre. We're talking straight hardcore rippers. Harlequin romance, Mills Avon, and Boone. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. All of them. Let's talk a little bit about the books and just give everyone who maybe isn't familiar with them just sort of a brief overview of the Bridgerton series, which the television show covers. So the original Bridgerton series, the first book was published in 2000. It was The Duke and I, which is what series one covers. And then basically after following that, each of the Bridgerton siblings has their own book. So Daphne was first. Anthony is second, then it's Benedict. Benedict, then it's, is it Colin next and then Eloise? Uh, uh, yeah, then it's Colin, then it's Eloise, then it's uh, Francesca. Then Hyacinth. Hyacinth then, and then Gregory. Yeah, so they all get a book. So, you know, we could potentially have eight series of Bridgerton on Netflix. What when sort of time done. period does that span? In about a decade or...? Yeah, about a decade. Yeah. Let's first discuss the gentleman of Bridgerton. So we, of course, have the Duke, Simon. Are we talking about the show or the books? We're talking about the show. Okay. We're talking about the show. How do we we feel about that casting? I think it was good casting. He's obviously very handsome. And I just like the way that he, the way he is filmed, because it's like the lustful gaze is on, is centered on him. It's not centered on Daphne, partly because she's got a terrible wig. Oh but it God. was nice that there are all those lovely little moments where the camera just lingers on him while he does something really sensuous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree great. that it is like the female gaze the entire yeah, show, which is so yeah. refreshing. I think something it does really, really well is the fact that it is so 
clearly geared towards like the female fantasy and the female gaze. Mm-hmm. It's all about Simon being the hot piece of meat. And it's yeah. like, even in the sex scenes, it's like, he's often completely naked. We have like a full ass shot and she's still in her nighty. Yeah. 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 And and even even the sex acts are all like females. For her, yeah. Yeah, for her. So it's just, you know, it was so refreshing. And I had so many friends, if they were like ahead of me in the series, be like, oh my God, episode six. And it'd be like. <laughs> yeah. Episode you've got to watch episode six. Just sex, yeah. wait till episode six, and it just—it was just so funny to see the the WhatsApp groups light up, and and just obviously how starved we are for, <laughs> for yeah, sex on TV that centers, you know, a woman's sexuality and a man's, you know, and he was actually very well cast because the the character in the book is is supposed to be exactly that incredibly good looking austere a bit cold um and i i yeah i thought he your was classic your classic alpha yeah okay so mm-hmm. that so we agree simon 10 you out of 10 stay. Yeah. well cast thank you um, very good casting director for that yeah <laughs> what about anthony? anthony he's he's hot yeah he's i mean hot. He, he is hot i think is he'll he make hot? a good hero yeah he's hot yeah I'm I do you know what I kind of hated him like all through the series which is Anthony's book was probably one of my favorites so I was sort of surprised how much I really hated him in but he is arrogant in the series yeah he is like in in some ways he's really well cast and actually I saw some interviews of the actor who plays Anthony and he really warmed me up to Anthony Mm -hmm. because he was like he's obviously in real life very handsome and like just a nice guy he's, he's got very mellow vibes in real life yeah and she doesn't <laughs> have mellow know. vibes no he's free hero in these universes has to be somewhat damaged <laughs> yeah because I, I i really think there's a really interesting arc that takes place in mo i would say 99 percent of bodice strippers and it happens in three acts and you've got like the kiss in the first one you've got like the, the the sex in the middle one and then things, right at the end a it's like too far the beginning of the third act always is generally the man doing something so stupid and terrible that he then has to come groveling back and there's a real like like a groveling highlight to everything. oh yeah you love a grovel don't you I love a grovel and it's also and a like book, you know? it's absolutely ridiculous nonsense every time. But you know what? I wonder if there's like a real instinctual, I always call it the high horse moment because it's like, you know, the, the female character gets to be up on a high horse and be like, yes, you were wrong. Why can't yes. you just admit you're wrong and then admit that you love me more than anything else in the whole universe? And I'm like, <laughs> but she does. wow, that's a real insight. into." <laughs> yeah, that's part and parcel of, I think, what makes these like so beloved and so satisfying to read is there's like the taming of the alpha male and she she always brings him to heal yeah. and he always has to apologize for his bad behavior and change his ways and yeah yeah it's i mean actually like as we're talking about it it's so problematic but it's just so funny too i mean i you know who who doesn't want to be told in essentially the same breath that not only are they incredibly wrong and you're right all the time but you're also beautiful and they can't live without you i mean that that's an <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. That's all, I'll yeah, take it. you know, that's that's a good afternoon. I won't lie. <laughs> it's like Nora Ephron has a really great quote about, you know, she doesn't fantasize about a man 
like thinking how clever she is. It's always like you fantasize about a man thinking like you're so hot. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> and so it's like if 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 anything, those romance novels are, even though we criticize them, they're probably pretty honest because it's like if you're really tapping into like the very secret fantasy for better or for worse, it is to be told like you're so hot and I can't live without yeah. you. <laughs> But actually, romance is a billion dollar industry. And so these books, not only do they sell, but they make up something like 23% of like publishing profits are like across the board or something, just that genre alone. So, you know, these, there is a formula, but it's a really beloved formula. And, you know, like any, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, we've said this. Good. We've said this before, but it's no different to the formula in like a murder mystery or like an action thriller or something like that. Like they're all formulaic, but you read them because you want to see what's the what's the writer going to do with this formula? How are they going to stretch the rules and change it up and subvert my expectations still within this genre that I know will end with a happy ending? Like that's what makes it fun. They're easy to access and they're enjoyable and they're rewarding. There's a really nice payoff in these types of books just by the way they're structured yeah julia quinn is known for being very funny like her, most of her books and i think it was slightly lost in the show but most of her books are really amusing uh yeah on they top have of a real being, sense of humor yeah yeah exactly the heroines are charming and you know you know find themselves in ridiculous situations and they are almost always the comic relief. The comic relief tends to come from the women, which again, we were talking about, like that's really refreshing to see funny women. And uh, Julia Quinn's, you know, big selling point, I usually say it's, it is like a rom-com set in the Regency period. So, you know, with a bit of sex thrown in. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing is there's an assumption that these sorts of books are kind of low intelligence, you know, or written by people who don't have the intelligence to write a sort of more literary book but it takes so much skill to write this kind of book to write something that where you really want to keep turning the pages you know a lot oftentimes the writers of these books are like incredibly intelligent incredibly successful in other fields as well like really like, academic yeah like julia quinn for example is a harvard educated and she started her writing career in the evenings to blow off steam from Yale Medical School. Like she was studying to be a doctor. And then three books uh, after she had published three books, she was like, do you know what? I'm just going to drop out and focus on this. Deborah Harkness, who is the author of um, Discovery of Witches trilogy. She's the same. She's like a big time history academic. It's just interesting. Like even the women writing these books, you know, the assumption that they're simple or they're outdated ideas about courtship and love and feminism and that sort of thing is not it, that's not even accurate you know the reality of these romance novels and what makes them so popular is they're tapping into something that readers still really want and are yeah, really totally. seeking out yeah. plus the they often- of the day if you're if you're writing books that are being read by millions of people around the world then you're doing something right <laughs> and you're also probably quite rich yeah yes yeah, so. very rich Plus, you know they often try and shoot on some modern sensibilities in there it's always like the hero is like you know what Women are equal to men. <laughs> okay, so that's mm-hmm. sort of Anthony covered off. <laughs> that's, that's what we started what talking that. about. And look, Anthony, I think he'll make a good second series because he's he's, you know, let's face it, he's a bit of a twat at the moment, and I feel like that's a good 
place to begin yeah. a yeah, romance journey. Better or hotter than a kind of redeemed bad guy. Yeah. The interesting thing about the first series of Bridgerton is, you know, Daphne and Simon's story is actually, it's kind of boring and they really did tie it up. You know, they resolve all their conflict. The, sh- the show ends with them having a baby. It's very much like they're going to live happily ever after. And that f- and the, the whole series was like really setting the table for the other characters. It's like there was quite a lot of overlap from Anthony, which in the books isn't truly the case. The other no. characters, the other characters appear, but their stories all stand alone. Whereas in this one, we had threads of Colin and Penelope. We had threads of Antony. You can see all the different directions this world can go in. And so actually I feel like Simon and Daphne are going to end up being kind of minor characters in this series. And Antony is really poised to be its star. Yeah, well, mm. on top of that, though, they did some like really clever things that I don't think I realized until the series was sort of coming to a close. But for instance, they introduce Marina, who is a character in one of the books. So, so Marina's um, the cousin of the Featheringtons that comes and she's pregnant, and there's this whole storyline, and it's quite fraught and um, brings a lot of drama into the show. But that character. Does, appears in the, like the sixth book. I didn't realize until sort of fairly recently, and I was like, "Oh wow, they're really they're really weaving things in very early." So uh, yeah, yeah gonna- it, it brought a lot of interest to the storyline. I felt that it, the the show really took off when they started to embrace the other characters more fully. The next brother, Benedict, who I think who I, all think is I think the internet hot. has very much crowned him the hot the he hottest is, brother. He is the hottest brother. Do you know what? We is talk- he though? No, he, he, he is. But you know what? It is. We were talking about this. He is. Yeah. He is. <laughs> he's, he's, got, he's got period face. And by that, I mean 80s period face. Mm. He is a 80s soft boy. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, you know, like Andrew McCarthy or Tom Hanks. You know, he's not, he's not like incredibly gorgeous, but he's, he's just like cute. got boy next door vibes. He's got energy though. I don't yeah. know what yeah. it is. I don't boy know next door Do you know what? I think the gettable quality is what he's yeah. got going for him because mm. you can imagine meeting a guy like that in a bar. It's a little bit JJ just, Field in Northanger Abbey. Yes. The thing is, though, is I found it just incredibly, incredibly off-putting that he was like 10 years older than Anthony. He's not. Like, he looks, yeah, but he looks it. He no, looks. He, he looks like it. he should be the oldest brother, he and he has the vibes of an oldest brother. I don't. He's like a hothead. He's fighting duels. He's like, look after my mistress. I'm gonna kill my best mate for kissing my sister, even though she said multiple times it's fine. Yeah, but Benedict is also getting up to all sorts of hijinks, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He's yeah. I, I, I don't know I why actually, he looks so much older. I don't think he does at all. He does. I think he does. He does. I, I think he does. I think that might. I think it might be the styling. I think the hair maybe makes him look older. It's funny because I didn't love uh, I didn't love Benedict's book. That wasn't my favorite in the series, but I'm really looking forward to Benedict's yeah. love interest. I think it'll it be really good. Sounds ben- like Benedict's book is uh, just Cinderella. Yeah, he, he's got the real Cinderella storyline. And actually, when I was in the first series, you know, I feel like Benedict is kind of potentially primed for them to really veer off course. Mm. Like, and it's like, for example, 
I would love if the twist in that story was like Benedict was gay. Yeah. I thought that that's where they might Cause be. Because I kind of, you know, in terms of bringing in some modern sensibilities, which the show very much was doing, it would be really cool to see one of those siblings there to be kind of like a queer love story somewhere in this I think, universe. I think that would be really great and appropriate and probably needed, you know. But it's, it, it's an interesting question because although the show obviously doesn't worry too much about adhering to the rules and the historical accuracy, there is a sort of base level of accuracy that is there and they kind of grapple with that in that storyline where he discovers that the artist has like a male lover and that it has to be in secret, you know, and that he could never mm-hmm. have a public gay relationship. And so they've already kind of set that as the ground rule. So you do kind yeah, of think if they did want to take Benedict in that direction, which I think would be great, you also think would that inevitably be a kind of a sad storyline because he's not yeah. like he's going to be able to turn around and, and marry his Mm-hmm. His, his male lover. Yeah, it's it's true. You're very right there. They've already kind of put the the edge on that. I think what they'll probably do to resolve that is that it's likely he'll be bisexual because I feel like they're laying the groundwork for that too. Because yeah. the artist has a, lo- a male lover, but also a female lover, or you know, something like that. I think that yeah. you know would sort of resolve the problems in some so ways. So watch this space for Benedict. He may be the hottest brother. He may be the coolest brother. Time will tell. But actually, there's someone else coming for Benedict's crown. Is and that there? Is. <laughs> and that's Colin. Colin. <laughs> Colin Bridgerton is one what if you haircut away Colin? from being the hottest brother. Is, the, is one, he the hottest? You think haircut. he's the hottest? Rach, I just I don't just don't think that's true. Do you think he's the hottest, Rach? I think he could be the hottest. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, can you show you're working? Yeah. What do you mean? I don't know. I just I just liked Colin. I just liked his vibes. I obviously love his story. That's the only kind of spoilery one. It's really easy to even figure out where all these stories are going, but we won't maybe talk too much about Colin's book. He's he's obviously a handsome lad. I don't want to put down the actor because he's obviously a handsome boy. I don't, I don't know why I said boy. That's so infantilizing. <laughs> he's not 12, yeah. Um, but um, He's a man, Roxanne. No, it's you should not, know that. not my type, that's what I'd say. But also ever since um, that <laughs> that tweet, was it, who was it that said? It was Marion Keys. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> that he, he looks, looks like a young Michael, Mc- Michael McIntyre. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot unsee that. I'm sorry, I just can't unsee it. Now it's just oh, Michael McIntyre. Yes. In my so I think the hair's doing a lot of the heavy lifting there, though, yeah. isn't it? We put a little poll out on stories today and 78% of you agreed Colin is actually kind of hot yeah I voted for not hot just to let you know yeah. <laughs> for like one of the things that I was really disappointed not disappointed but I was sad that sort of left the that that wasn't really done on the show Bridgerton is that Daphne's extremely comical in the book and there's this there's this great scene where because as we know that there's a big plot point involving the fact that she doesn't understand how someone gets pregnant um but the night before the wedding she's really excited to learn what sex is like really eager quite excited for marital relations her mum comes in and her mum just gets really embarrassed about talking to her about it and 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 Daphne's like, no, but what do you do? And the mother's like, oh, you know, you'll be fine, birds and the bees. And she's like, no, but seriously, what do you do? What parts are involved? 
<laughs> so like, where do I put my hand? Yeah, she just like leaves the room, and Daphne like runs after, and she's like, "But I know nothing." <laughs> and it's and therefore, when the the sex scene does happen, there are there are like really comical elements to it. So it is. You know. It's just. It's absolutely incredible how much of this story just hinges on understanding semen. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we're talking about it. It's interesting though, because it made me think like, if nobody ever told you, you wouldn't know, would you? No. Like, what would you think it was? (laughs) Or it's not even yeah, and it's like, how would you think it works? Hmm. And it's it's actually so many, so many romance novels do talk about that, about how like they're really nervous about the wedding night because they have no clue, and just even like scenes where they're just like, oh, that's. That's what a man looks like naked. Oh my gosh! You know? <laughs> like what? What yeah. is that? <laughs> like so? You know, it's it, just, it, yeah. it is wild when you. When There's you absolutely no that. sex education in the Regency era. So. No, I but feel it, like that she did a relatively good job in the show with handling that because it seems that's such a inherently humorous concept. But they kind of went is. quite straight down the line with it. Like, sort of managed to still keep it sexy and kind of yeah serious in a way (laughs) it's funny because in uh, in the book it's definitely comical for a long period up until she realizes that he's you know when she finds out she's like oh like you know um and then a lot of the tension then comes from the fact that he's just like no I don't then then his like whole like damage bad boy vibe comes in it's like I can't carry on the line you know did work you know I I didn't I didn't mind it I I must admit I, I I wish it was a there was a bit more sort of comic joy in it, but mm. that would probably be my only criticism because I loved it. I binged it in like a day. I Can't think like in, yeah. I think in general, like Bridgerton, you can see you can see still they're kind of working out a little bit where the line is on terms of it's supposed to be sort of like frothy and enjoyable, but they do dip their toe into a few more serious topics like even the the Daphne Simon storyline do you know what I mean is like Mm -hmm. when she in the scene where she sort of like takes control and insists he comes inside her (laughs) (laughs) for want of a better word yeah he didn't he didn't want to and it's like that is even it's like I don't know what you make of that but you know what I mean in that article there's a good article in the Guardian just the other day with Julia Quinn when she talks about that and she says, you know, well, at the time when I wrote that, nobody batted an eyelid, but things have, attitudes have changed towards that kind of thing now. And she said she wouldn't necessarily um, change what happens, but she'd maybe write it in a different way. Yeah. Which means mm-hmm. I, I guess the way that you would handle that is that you would just have Daphne feel a bit more conflicted over it, maybe. That actually is is the crux of it is that when those kind of things happen on tv like any kind of sexual assault or things that happen without consent a lot of it you don't see consequences emotional or physical and it's like but you see consequences if someone cheats on someone in a show or if someone murders someone in a show so it should I think we just have to move to a point where you can visually see consequences to -hmm. show that it's a sort of right and wrong you know otherwise you know it's like the the, sh- the show does deal there there is a fallout from that you know what i mean within their marriage but it's but he's just considered in the in the wrong and he, for the most part yeah yeah know. 
And he so did lie like, to her, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very you know, problematic that, thing she did. It's like, that's something that could have used a little bit more handling. And then again, like the next kind of big topic in terms of Bridgerton is like whether or not this is sort of a colorblind casting or not. They just really skim the surface of that. They drop in these t- couple of mentions about racial tension sort of out of nowhere. And my feeling kind of walking away from it was like, you either need to address that or you don't. Whole series of Bridgerton, like for me, it's like, it's not that deep. My preference would have been like, just make it a colorblind cast because that's not really what the show's focus is. It's also the same sort of with like the gay storyline. You kind yeah. of think that well, they set that ground rule, which sort of is paying homage to historical accuracy. And that just, that does feel like it's complicating things in a world mm. that should sort of be just joyful. Yeah. 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 And it's one yeah. of those things where once you start to pull on that thread, does it, the, the thing yeah. starts to unravel if you start thinking about it, too, the implications of it too much. Many other aspects of the show and the world have a very modern bent, like the music pulling in like Taylor mm-hmm. Swift, Ariana Grande, even the use of color, things like that. The lighting, that's all modern. None of that is kind of like historically accurate. You want <laughs> yeah, to I, I do find going it down that. hilarious when people are like, well, he, you know, Simon Bassett wasn't black. And I was like, that's what that's the historical inaccuracy. <laughs> You're going to yeah. lean on the racist one. The reality is, is like, we're watching Bridgerton for the the drama and the pageantry and the fun look into that world. We're not mm-hmm. sitting there being like, actually. Uh, I like how we're watching Bridgerton for the drama and pageantry and not episode six where they're just having sex. <laughs> the <entire laughs> episode, episode six be was coming before we got there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're watching it for the sex. As long as everyone is good looking we we don't really care (laughs) all all those things are things they may well continue to figure out and work on as the show itself evolves yeah yeah it has a lot of promise and you know i cannot wait for the next series so i'm i'm fully on board however they want to do it i'm i'm on board are there any uh any actors that you would like to see playing roles that are coming up just please please cast a really hot michael from when he was wicked i will not be able to take care if they cast it's not a long time i mean what's her name francesca francesca yeah Yeah, she's really young she just she just pops she just pops up in the the end of last she's like hi i've been at school and we're all like who (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I will You'll never take it if they mess up, Michael. Uh, he's the only one I really care about. I think they've done a really good job casting. I don't know. He would be a good. I want. I want a good uh, love interest for Eloise because she's my fave. I'm actually super excited for Kate, who is Antony's yeah principal love interest. Yeah. Because I really like her as a character. She's, she's a good she's character. Great. Yeah. She's no, a great character. The, the the first two, the Duke and I and the Viscount, who loved me, <laughs> they're, both, they're both really good. So if you just want to start from the beginning, they're, they're, really, they're really fun and so readable. And then from then on, it sort of really becomes a sort of patchwork of which ones you like and which ones you don't. And it really, yeah, comes down to the plot and the heroes. Even though I liked the whole cast and I actually did like Daphne in other ways, I didn't really feel like her and Simon were that well matched. I would agree with that. And also I just, you know, the the actress was very good, but um, I do, Daphne is just such a funny, like, character and Daphne was so serious in the show, which mm-hmm. I was a bit, 
sorry to say. It's like she, for when, yeah, because Daphne is supposed to be, first of all, she's like the diamond of the season. Mm. And just because she's so likable. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, she's super, super likable. And uh, and her whole thing, she's the Will Smith of, yeah. of and, and, and we just And we just she really didn't, didn't get, get Will Smith to be in season two do you know what he would make a wonderful Daphne and (laughs) I'm not even I'm not even joking about that Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah I mean she's like that's that's her thing is that she just yeah is is really likable and it's not that the actress wasn't but she was just very serious and I was I was a bit sorry even even the bit with Nigel with the the horrible creepy guy that attacks her in it in in the book that's hilarious he's just just drunk guy that's kind of harmless in the book so i can see why they added it to make it a bit more serious but she you know she she's just like oh not this guy yeah, it's, more, it's more she's like not, oh dear she's never scared for herself she just no. yeah he he sort of pours at her and she knocks him out and yeah they make it a, they make that her whole her whole life a little bit more serious she's mm-hmm. less fun in yeah, the series than she is it. in the books and yeah that's the word i was looking that for was a, do, do we yeah. wonder if that's maybe the sort of shonda rhymes american tv influence perhaps probably yeah and you know i i don't even necessarily hate it because i do think that for them they did a really impressive job of making not a long book like spinning that out into Mm -hmm. eight episodes eight interesting Mm -hmm. episodes and it's like I don't always actually feel the way about the books there have definitely been in the the of the Bridgerton series I've read the Julia Quinn ones there have definitely been periods in all of the books where I felt like let's move it along this is a little bit boring like it's just Mm -hmm. it's not got enough going on and they they really injected drama and excitement into the series so i also think they did that a lot with the yeah with the with the side characters they added like that's really like i love the whole storyline with penelope the featherington's family yeah the whole featherington thing was great i love that um i also am obsessed with polly crosby i think she's an amazing actress the mother the sort of evil mother is just amazing she's not evil but um and all her costumes were unreal um but yeah i think i think it did lose a bit of fun. I wonder if it would have worked though, if it didn't take itself seriously. Probably because- not. Like I, I don't know that they could have got their way through eight episodes. So it's like maybe that was the sacrifice. Maybe Daphne's sort of character and vibe had to change because mm-hmm. otherwise there just wasn't. If she was just happy go lucky about everything, yeah, then maybe sure. it just wouldn't quite have worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm excited for the next one. I'm excited to see Kate. Yeah, I, it I think it's going to be a great series. It has not officially been renewed for a second series at the time of recording. However, it has been like the one of the top five fastest streamed Netflix shows of all time now. Um, so I think it's pretty safe probably to say we will get one. How- yeah, we probably will get one. How did did you now my question is, did you watch Bridgerton with your partner at all? Partners, how did they react? What was their feeling? I watched the I think we watched like the first episode together and maybe started the second and he was like, Oh, let's like he doesn't love binging shows. And it as soon as it was becoming clear that I was like, Oh no, 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 I'm here for the night. I'll be watching this for eight more hours. That was the moment. 
we lost him yeah Yeah. (laughs) my partner made about four boner jokes and I was like you know what I'm watching this alone yeah I watched it uh my husband was playing uh World of Warcraft I believe but he would sort of turn around and take off his headphones whenever he could he could hear like the sex scenes leaking through his headphones and he would turn around and watch when those bits came on (laughs) So that was the that was the level of interaction that he had with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, it's it's fun for the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it? Now, Did someone watch it with their family? Did someone? My sister. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Tell this story. This really made me laugh when you said. Shout that. out to Christine. So, uh, my, <laughs> my sister texted me uh, in the week between Christmas and New Year's, saying, "Oh, have you watched Bridgerton? I watched it." with mom and dad and (laughs) I was like oh Christine come on you've got to be watching those so basically what happened was her and my mom started watching it they got into it they obviously pretty much binged it in like a day or two but she said like my dad kept kind of coming into the room at the worst times like and he'd walk through and be like hey does anyone want to whoa what's going on in here (laughs) There's just something so perfect about that. Watching right. watching softcore porn with your family is is not. Don't watch. Not, not advised. It's sort of a yeah. rite of passage, though, isn't it? It happens to yeah, everyone at some point. Yeah. <laughs> so before we leave you tonight, we're going to share some recommended supplementary reading if you loved Bridgerton first stop go and seek out the Julia Quinn books they've just released a special edition of the Duke and I to uh, like a tie-in edition with the series the other ones are they're technically all in print but they are sold out absolutely everywhere and going for like 700 pounds a copy on eBay and but they're all in ebook so get them on your Kindle or your Kobo or if you don't have one of those you can download a Kindle or Kobo app onto your desktop or your iPad or your smartphone and you can read them that way or get them in an audiobook. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're, so they're such good fun. And they're usually like really reasonably priced too. Like you mm-hmm. know. So. Some other authors which Well, I'll suggest them on the the steaminess scale, right? So the 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 sort of for for gentle romance, I would go for someone like Mary Ballock's, particularly her uh, Bedouin saga. That's a family saga that's quite good, or a Huxtable series. And uh, Lisa Claypass would be a bit steamier than, say, Julia Quinn. Um, and I would say go for the Wallflower series or the um, Hathaway series. And then Elizabeth Hoyt, I think you could just, yeah. Just I would just read the the synopsis parts and see which which takes your fancy. <laughs> For readers, if you're kind of coming into romance because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of books to choose from, and a real trick for you is if you don't like the sound of the back of the book, you won't like the book. Like there's no surprises from that kind of back jacket synopsis where in like literary fiction, often the jacket is like really vague and it'll be like, she has to discover who she is before she loses everything. Romance novels are not like that. The specifics of what's going to happen in the story on the back jacket. And if that doesn't appeal to you, you won't like the book, like just move on and find something else 
that is appealing to you, where the storyline yeah. speaks to you. If you're not grabbed straight away to, I mean, the the best romance novels, the ones that connect the best to you are the ones that, you know, you pick up and you're just like leafing through them really, really quickly. It, it, it is a bit like candy for the brain, you know. You don't want to be sitting there being like, oh, I can't get into this. Like if you can't mm. get into it, no. Yeah, if fine. you can't get into you it, you're not, it. Yeah, you're not going to enjoy it. Move on. <laughs> yeah. There's also who else could you read? You could read uh Evie Dunmore is that she the there's a series I can't remember what the series is called. It's kind of like a group of suffragette friends and they each have their own story. So it's set a little bit later on, mm, but the first cool. one is called Bringing Down the Duke um and is great fun and very in the vein of Julia Quinn, steamy, funny, silly. Um they're brilliant. There's three of those now. And then if you're looking for something modern, The Hating Game, very steamy, mm. very fun, yep. romantic. Sally Thorne. We've got, we've also- got an episode of Typecast about it, so you can listen to that to wet your whistle. <laughs> Once you get into reading a couple of romance novels, you'll see there's like there's authors recommending other authors on the covers and, and you get – the community is really cool. Like you can uh, – get a lot of recommendations from there. It's Good not reads. hard to dive into that world. No. And it's like there's honestly romance sort of like genres within the romance genre for everyone, like paranormal, contemporary, like sci-fi, <laughs> just all sorts. Paranormal. So, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. honestly, yeah. There's-, there's, there's a genre f- for absolutely everyone. Yeah. So get involved. Get involved, especially during the pandemic. If you need some light reading, this <laughs> this is for you. Um, the other one I'd recommend is um, the Ripped Bodice. Um, so it's at the Ripped Bodice, and it's a uh, it's actually um, it's run bookstore. by two women. Yeah, it's a bookstore in LA, and they only sell romance, and and they're really wonderful for recommendations um, as well. So highly recommend. If you don't want to read anything, but you want to watch more stuff in the vein of Bridgerton, keeping in mind that Bridgerton sort of stands on its own, we can also recommend some stuff. So you could watch, of course, Outlander, also very steamy. Mm-hmm. And occasionally very traumatizing. Traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can, get, it can get dark. It can get dark. Then what else is there? Discovery of Witches is a good one. Sanditon. Sanditon loved it. I love Sanditon. Everyone was complaining it wasn't Austin enough. That is actually like, you know, it's more towards yeah. Bridgerton. It's a bit more yeah. modern. It's really, it's it's really cool. I'd give it a go. The new Vanity Fair, and then a special mention goes to one of Typecast's favorites, <laughs> Austin Land. Woo! Oh, Austin Land, which is cool. not it's not steamy, but it's very just wonderful and silly and if, if, you, if you like if you yourself are an austin head and are obsessed with regency romance it's really nice because the main character is basically you in the film yeah maybe more is, extreme it is, it is just a brilliant. delight from start to finish yeah. it's an absolute delight it's yeah. got jennifer coolidge in it I'm really good at but dr quinn medicine woman yes jane seymour yeah, it, and JJ Fields, a fan favorite. Yes. Is he in your mm-hmm. dossier, Rich? I mean, not really, but he's great in that. Do you know that he's married to Nev Campbell? Is he? No. 
Yeah. That's a that's a good really? looking apple. Yeah. Well, everyone. <laughs> That's all she wrote, folks. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Typecast. All three Bridgerton brothers instantly became probably about 25% hotter after I watched that video of them singing. Oh <laughs> my God. I that did know. a lot of work for them. That was a really good move. They're on set in a sort of slightly misty barn it looks like doing like an acapella rendition of i can't remember what it is but it's that really nice song it's, and it moved it's me hot.